This is the ID Fanatic podcast coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, July 27th, 2021, the podcast where we talk to real instructional designers for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they keep it all together. Just a little announcements before we start, I'm going to be taking August off because I'm the boss and I can do that. So I'll be returning in September, but please listen as much as you want to the 20 episodes that will exist by then. I will be also talking at a conference in November in Orlando. It's the Learn 2021 conference. And I'll be talking about what leaders should know about artificial intelligence. So I'm sure my next guest has uh, some opinions about that. It's Nanette Miner of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Nanette, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mitch. I'm happy to be here. Your consulting business recently celebrated its 30-year anniversary, so congratulations. Thank you. According to your website, for the past five years or so, you've changed your focus to leadership training. Can you tell us a bit about how and why you made that change? Well, it's not a short story, Mitch. <laughs> so well, we got started, half an hour. <laughs> I started in the early 90s and obviously grew as the, um, as the profession of instructional design grew, so started with classroom because that's all there was. And then I actually specifically jumped over e-learning because I have a lot of negative opinions about that, which I won't bore you with. Um, But then started working in virtual instructor-led training, which I thought was the best of both worlds, both using the electronic medium, but also making sure that you have a facilitator leading it. There's accountability with other participants, et cetera. When was that? I uh, started using WebEx in probably 2002 or 2003. Yeah. It wasn't really viable for a long right. stretch. Right. Yeah, WebEx was actually the second um, product that I used. The first one, I don't remember. Around 2015 or so, so I had been doing tons of custom design for mostly Fortune 100 companies, and my niche tended to be leadership development and sales for whatever reason. So around 2015, when the U.S. Census said, hey, you know, by 2030, all the boomers are going to be out of the workforce, I realized that I had had this inside look into so many corporate training environments, and they were doing leadership development, which I was a part of, but they were doing it so poorly. They were doing it after they already promoted somebody to a leadership role. They were doing it with a select few individuals, and they were doing it in a one-on-one-off class kind of way, which... I then realized I'm part of the problem because I'm designing these one-off classes that don't have any continuity, that don't build on, you know, the previous knowledge. I just thought, oh my gosh, leadership is headed for a precipice in 15 years because 2015 was when I had this epiphany and I'm part of the problem. So I'm going to change my tack, only do leadership and only do it my way, which is the correct way, of course, (laughs) which is you have to start leadership development the minute somebody walks in the door. You can't pre-choose or pre-presume who's going to be a future leader because it's an entirely different skill set, and you just see how that develops, right? And in the meantime, if you give everyone leadership skills, then the rising tide lifts all boats. Makes sense. Uh, It does sound a bit of a radical shift. Um, Are other people doing that approach and is it, uh, has it been a hard sell at all? I have not found anyone else who's doing that approach. And as you know, I have a lot of boat analogies today. It's hard to turn a big ship around, right? <laughs> Corporate America has um, 
you know, they're just ingrained in their process of their corporate universities, and we're going to pick these 22 people, and they're going to go through this, you know, 18-month rotation or whatever. Um, so I have actually left what used to be my standard client, and now I only work with small and mid-sized companies that have between, say, 400 and 1,000 employees who haven't really thought about their succession planning yet, don't really have a dedicated leadership process. Some of them don't even have dedicated training departments that HR is still handling the training and it's a one-off thing again it's like oh you need this we'll get you this it could have been a hard sell in other words but you've chosen uh you've found the clientele for whom it is a a a welcome thing right there's like thank heavens you're here (laughs) and how do you do that how do you start teaching leadership to people who have just joined the company and you know are in lower lower positions so to me leadership is a misnomer Because when you think about the things that we teach in leadership classes, like communication and giving feedback and corrective conversations, the only reason, in my opinion, we call that leadership is because we wait until you're a leader to teach you that. But there's no reason that we shouldn't be teaching it to everyone, depending on the size of the organization. If it's a smaller sized one, one of the things I really recommend is you need to start reading in discussion groups. And the CEO or whomever we put in charge of this project needs to start sending industry articles or general business articles that they have read because hopefully they are you know reading those publications i'm reading those publications as the ceo of a consulting firm right send them out to your folks and say this is something that i think you ought to be aware of and if you have this read by you know friday join me for a discussion of this and start just imparting your knowledge to your employees en masse but also getting them to focus on you know what is, what is our industry are we in? I can't tell you how many times I worked in a Fortune 100 company where you know I would go into a particular division to work with them, but I always want to know what the whole big picture is. So I would ask for tours or have conversations with people in leadership, and then I would say something to someone in a particular department, and they would say, "Oh, I I didn't know that. How'd you know that?" And I'm like. I'm a consultant and you work here. How do you not know that? I'm you don't say it that way. No, no, it's only in my head. I said <laughs> only in my head. head. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I thought you said I don't see it that way. But I find that most people know how to do their jobs. They don't understand how their job fits into the whole. And the right. other thing that I was a part of the problem was, I'm very uh, embarrassed by this, is somewhere in the last 20, 30 years, we started training people in silos. So if you went into a company in finance and we did give you professional development, it was still mostly in finance. We didn't teach you operations. We didn't teach you sales. We didn't teach you the legal aspects. So we're not developing business leaders. And that's what I'm trying to do at the core level is develop business leaders, get people to understand how your business runs, what industry they're in. Do you know who your competitors are? Do you know how you make money? Do you know how you keep money? (laughs) You know, so, you know, just, Uh, organic things like starting to teach ethics we think when people become leaders they know how to behave ethically and then we have things like the wells fargo meltdown which you know trickled down how many levels and paid i think they've paid 21 billion in fines now people know how to behave ethically whether they're going to do it or not is another question who knows Um, if they even know how but if you gave me one percent of 21 billion i could do a heck of a leadership development program (laughs) so at the beginning you said uh uh there was class. There was just classroom, and yes. you switched over to VILT because you weren't crazy about e-learning. But there was also self-study. Um, there was also like uh, seminars and uh, weekend uh, retreats, and uh, they were blended sort of versions of all these things. So I'm curious now. 
that you're building discussions, what kind of techniques are you using? No, there's all sorts of techniques. But I will say, even though I specialized in VILT, there's no such thing as VILT that's not blended. I actually wrote a book, one of the first books on blended learning for um, ATD, because you can't just have people show up for 90 minutes and expect that they've, you know, they've learned it. So there is a lot of asynchronous stuff that you can take out of the class there's, in my opinion, a lot of wasted time in classroom training because you know, let's get in our breakout groups. We just lost yeah. four minutes. Let's, <laughs> let's come back from lunch or you're not back yet. So I do think you have better learning outcomes. And I do think with VILT, you have better level three and level four learning outcomes where you're asking people to change their behavior because you can't keep people online for eight hours. So you give them an assignment, you ask them to apply, they have time to reflect, they come back with questions. So I really do believe VILT offers much better learning outcomes than classroom does, you know, hands down. I have a whole booklet of 25 activities that are just conversation-based that build leadership skills, like asking people to um, write your own job description. You know, how many senior leaders or even next level up from you really knows what you do? There's a lot of times where they don't. And I've been in so many organizations, too, where someone leaves a position and there's no transfer. And yeah. so the new person comes yeah. in, they're figuring it all out on their own because nobody documented anything. So, you know, one of those activities is write your own job description. Another one is write a calendar of what you do and when you do it. <laughs> but that not only helps the organization long term, it also helps me think through what do I contribute to this organization? And is this a good use of my time? And should I flag this with my manager and say, I don't really know why I do this report every Tuesday before 5 p.m.? So it helps people to start thinking more big picture than just saying, well, this is what the task was and I'm, and I'm doing my task. So even though uh, your your clients are more receptive than, you know, some bigger companies might be, it's still quite a culture shift, it seems, that you're asking them to implement, which takes time and and resources. Um, do they balk at that at all or, or do you have to make some compromises? They do not balk at that, although it is a culture shift. I find that they would prefer that to starting a training department, which everybody's feedback to me is that is time and labor and expensive. And I'm like, we don't need to do it that way because there's nothing literally about leadership that is new, right? We can find it out there. We can find you a local consultant. We can partner with a local community college and have your professors come in. I taught community. I taught for a community college for six years and that's what I did. They, they sent me to the client site and I taught the curriculum yeah. at the client site. There's all, you know, the LinkedIn learning, the enterprise program. We, my job is to just figure out what do they need where can we get that from? And then you administer it. You make sure that people stay on that path. One of the reasons I do believe that millennials change their jobs so frequently is because they don't see any career options in an organization. And, and because we've been training in silos for so long, everybody thinks the only way up, the only promotion I get is up. So another thing that we look at is lateral moves. Like when we design a curriculum, you can't go up for more than two or three specialty topics until we force you out into something else. <laughs> you're going to learn two finance topics and then you're going to have to go take an HR topic and then we'll let you come back to finance if that's your specialty. But then we're also going to send you over to operations. So you're getting a mix not only of understanding how the organization works, but another big central core of our process is you learn who else is in the organization. because. If you're in HR and you make a boneheaded finance decision because you don't know anybody in finance to call, which is generally the case these days, and I'm very worried about what work from home is going to do to this whole thing because yeah. now we don't bump into people and go, oh, yeah, I remember you're in finance. Hey, can I run an idea by you? Um, 
So we're also developing professional relationships within the organization. And then we're also developing career paths. Like, so you have this core knowledge. It doesn't mean you have to keep going up. You could now go laterally over here and, and learn more about the organization. And in my opinion, the more lateral moves you make, the more you're destined to be a future leader for sure, because you understand how the business works. Okay, now part of the purpose of this con podcast is to find out how people got into ID. So I want to get there. But I want to start with, on your website, you say you started working when you were 11 years old. I did. So is that in a parent's store or something? Oh, and so it's time to retire. No, I just, I have, I've just been an entrepreneur my whole life. So I got a paper route. What did you do when you were a paper route? Yeah, a paper route when I was 11 years old until I was like 15 and could get a real job, quote unquote, which for some reason you could at 15 back then. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I've always been working. I just love to work. I love business. And so I when I, if, if I asked what you wanted to be when you grew up, you'd say business, running a what business? What I wanted to be when I was younger was a disc jockey. Disc because jockey. I love music. Yeah. And I actually went to broadcasting school when I was 16 years old and worked in radio and television for the first five years of my career, which is probably why I was good at virtual instructor-led training, because I'm used to talking to no one, even though I never really did facilitate. But a lot of times after the design, because VILT was so new to people, I would say, let me teach the pilot. So your instructors can see how this works, because <laughs> you're not just lecturing, you're really pulling more of the content from your participants than you know, telling, them, telling it to them. Um, and you're really just prompting the conversation and having them come to their aha moments. VILT is so very different in its design from yeah. the classroom. And, you know, nobody knew anything less than classroom before that. Yeah, and a lot of people are just sort of recreating classroom. Right, that's right. They just try. It's the pandemic. Look. We just sort of jumped into it. Um, yes, and I'm surprised by the pandemic. Surprised me about how many people weren't using it because one of the reasons I did step away from it in 2015 was I was like, I've done everything I can. Everybody's using this. <laughs> Yeah. There's no more to <laughs> no more to conquer here. Um, so how did I get into instructional so design? So I, this I jockey to, to uh, instructional design, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I worked in radio and television for five years. I realized that there's really no money in that unless you're like the one or top two persons. Um, I started working for Radisson Hotels and I started opening hotels for them, doing the training for the openings. Um, and I realized I really liked training. So I went and got a master's in training and development and then hooked up with a small consulting firm that started to subcontract work out to me. And then after probably four or five years, um, I decided I would get my doctorate because this was definitely the field I wanted to be in. And it was, uh, do I get a doctorate in instructional design or do I get one in adult learning, which is more broad um, and a friend of mine who was in the same field said, I think you probably know everything you need to know about instructional design. So why don't you do something to broaden your horizon? So I got my doctorate in adult learning in uh, 1999. And, uh, and then everything just took off from there. Then, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, mean, I started my business in 1991, but I would say yeah. fully getting my own clients and all that probably since 95. Then in 2006, you came out with a book. The Accidental Trainer, which yes. uh, a lot of people, I don't know, I've, uh, one of the reasons I, I asked you, well, the reason I asked you on there, because I looked you up specifically because of this, because a lot of my previous podcast guests had talked about being an accidental trainer when I asked them how they became an ID. And I don't know if they were aware of the book or not, but I was. And so, um, so I looked you up. And so maybe tell us about how you came to write that and uh, who it's for. 
So I wrote that because so many of my clients prior to that book coming out were one-person training departments, even though they were in corporate America, and you just can't do it all yourself. I mean, a lot of my work was simply not because I was a specialist or better than them. It was because they didn't have the time. <laughs> so um, I learned a lot of good tricks from all of those one-person departments who were you know, juggling so many balls. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Everybody should know that. Oh, that's really cool. Everybody should know that. So I decided to compile it. And I actually tested that first. Um, ATD, ASTD at the time, used to have a booklet called InfoLine, which came out every month. It was a subscription thing. So I started there and I published something similar. I honestly don't remember the name of that. It was only 16 pages. And then I pitched that to a publisher and blew it up into the accidental trainer. I honestly don't think that's in print anymore. Oh well, I think it's on. It's on Amazon. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, they'll send it to you if you try, if you want. No, nope, I got a whole got a whole case. You got a whole sack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, I won't go into that. Um, so it's not necessarily about uh, sort of sort of becoming an ID once not you're at all. in a role. No. It's about yeah. how to run a how to do it all yourself or how to do Correct. how to juggle the the role as a one man band. Exactly. Yeah. What your priorities should be, what resources you can use. And that was written in 20, 2006, as you said. Yeah. I didn't even remember that. So it's probably all obsolete by now because technology has become so. Oh, okay. Advanced. Good point. You're going to, I, you've written some follow ups. Or have they updated the thing at all? No, they've, they've not asked me to do that now. Now, my next book was on blended learning, that was for ATD. So uh, there's another book that you wrote that most people aren't aware of uh, about getting out of an affair. Oh, yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> that, that actually, that was my very first book, and I wrote it as part of my doctoral program because I uh -oh. needed a project, and I, and I didn't. So all of my fellow students couldn't do projects internally, and I'm like, I can't get a client to agree to let me do this research project. Um, so a friend of mine was having an affair and she broke it off after three years. She was my best friend. We worked out at the gym together every day. We had worked together previously. We saw each other all the time. And for three, three and a half years, I had no idea she was having this affair. So she came to me afterwards and said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. I want to write a book about it and warn other women never to do this. And I said, well, nobody cares about your sad little story. So we're going to have to turn this into a research project. And then I pitched it to my professor and said, can I do this as my research project? And he said, yes, that sounds fascinating. So it's very research based. Let me tell you. So I'm wondering if, uh, how did that land? Did you get a lot of, Oh my gosh, it still sells. Did you? Yeah. I'm, so the accidental trainer is out of print, but how to get out yeah. of affair is going yes. strong. And everybody keeps saying to me, you should update that. And I'm like, I don't need to update that. I mean, literally that has been out since 1995, 97. I don't remember, but yeah, it still sells. I still get checks on Amazon every month. Well, direct great. deposit now because things have changed. <laughs> That's great. Wow. I can't believe you found that. Yeah. I, just, I don't talk. I haven't talked about that in a long time. It was also easy to find. Everything's easy to find these days. You just stick yeah. a name in and things come up. That is true. <laughs> the research is true. research has changed dramatically <laughs> since in the old days. Yeah. So uh, I want to switch to the personal front to find out how you juggle your career and your life. So what is your family situation like? I would say that's never a... A done deal. There's always a struggle, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, we have three grown children, so that's good. That part has that 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 tough part. We have 
past that milestone. So it's just my husband and I and a dog now. Um, but I think when you're an entrepreneur, and you can attest to this as, as well, probably, you just, you say yes to too many things um, because everything seems doable or, or I think of the reason I became an, I know the reason I became an entrepreneur is because I like to learn and I could never see myself doing the same job for a long period of time. So yeah. rather than be a job hopper, I became a consultant, which allows me to job hop because I'm constantly going to new clients. I'm learning new industries. I'm meeting new people. You know, I love it. Um, but like, I just had a client come to me a week or so ago and he said, we really need help. A past client, we really need help in August. And I looked at my calendar and said, yeah, sure. I have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's the, that's well, just the, if you want a job done right, you give it to a busy person. Yeah, but then you're, but then to your point, then the, you know the rest of the things slide by the wayside. Yeah. So I have to get better. I have to get better at overbooking. Yeah. The <laughs> one thing I, to... the one thing I put my foot down about this year, and it's it's not holding true. Yeah. A hundred percent, but like I do not have any meetings on Fridays. So I block Friday off completely on my calendar. Generally, it's a catch-up day. So it's not like I'm not here. I just don't get interrupted with meetings and calls. I presume you've always worked remote from home? Yes. And yeah, because year, I always go to my client site if I needed your to. Hus- does your husband, did your husband, like, did he start working from home in the but, pandemic or did he work you know, before? About three years ago when they closed his facility, about three years ago, he started working from home. But it's funny because we never see each other during the day. <laughs> He's, my husband does 11 to 13 conference calls a day. I would kill myself. <laughs> so, and I'm in you know, a whole different part of the house, isolated, and he's in his part isolated. And we sometimes meet at lunchtime, but not often because we don't even have that kind of schedule. So we see each other at dinner. It, it, people are amazed. Our neighbor, when he first started working from home, she's like, oh, no, how's that going to work? And we're like, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we literally text each other. I'm like, can you look at that yeah. dog? Or somebody's at the door. <laughs> Oh yeah, I think everybody does that now. So, how do you um, stay sane when you're not working? Um, I do a lot of yoga, a lot of yoga, and um, my husband and I both ride Harley's, which is a do, very. Do, do you do the yoga on the Harley? Is there? A, is like not I know. Yet. I know there's classes for goat yoga, but is there Harley yeah. yoga? <laughs> No. That's actually how we ended up living in Myrtle Beach because we would come to Bike Week twice a year and you know stay in hotels and spend a lot of money and you're always eating out because you know you, you don't have a home base and uh, and then we bought a condo and we would rent it out during the winters and keep it for Bike Week for ourselves and then we accidentally found the house that we live in now. My husband was like driving through a neighborhood and popped into a open house and called me and said, "You got to come see this house." And so. That's how we ended up living here permanently. There was no intention to do that, but. So did the yoga and the Harley riding sort of address different needs? No, they're both a Zen zone for me. They're both a zone. So there's cool. certain times a year you don't want to ride your bike yeah. because there's too much traffic, you know? Yep. So you, you just want to yoga. get out there and go. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, I have to start my day with yoga. It's funny because I don't usually come into the office until 10 a.m. and people think you're sleeping in. I'm like, I'm up at five. You're just, (laughs) there's the dog walk, there's the yoga. There's, (laughs) I just, I'm a person that is very productive if my day starts off right. And for me, that's a very, very um, repeatable routine. And then I'm good to go after that. Then I can sit at my desk for seven hours. How many years has the yoga been going? Um, 20 something years. Yep. 
Very good. So these are questions that I stole from the Actor Studio TV show. I don't know if you ever used to watch that. Mm-hmm. Fun. Uh, and he he stole them from a French TV show that was okay. on before him. So now they're mine. Okay. And uh, they're 10 questions, and you just uh, answer off the top of your head, and we'll see what we go, where we go with that. All, All right. right. So what is your favorite word? I don't think I have a favorite word, Mitch. <laughs> Skip that. Pass. Pass. All right. What is, what is your least favorite word? Have you got a least favorite word? I would say just in general, my least favorite words are swear words and not from a moral point of view, just being a trainer for so many years, you just, you don't want that to be part of your vocabulary. So when I hear someone swearing, it just, it's like, you know, a child baby crying or something. Yeah. It's like that kind of thing for me. You're like, Oh, <laughs> that's really interesting. So I'm going to skip uh, question number uh, five, <laughs> which is what's your favorite curse word <laughs> or, or should I, maybe I should um, you know, like I told still have a favorite. You know, you're only allowed to swear if you slam your fingers in the car door. That's what I would tell my <laughs> What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, riding my motorcycle. It's um, my husband and I used to say this is our church. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about that. What do you? What Just do you? When did nature. you start? And and being out in nature. I so when my did husband's hear? been riding since he was sixteen or seventeen. I yeah. got my license at forty three. My husband came home with a new motorcycle that they call a, um, oh, of course, the word escapes me now, but they, they, they're the ones that have the seats on the back, the speakers built in, the big fairings, right. the, um, and it, I just said to him, no, that is not, that's an old man bike. I'm not getting on that bike with you. And he said, well, then get your own. So, so I did. We impulse actually impulse purchased a motorcycle when we were on vacation uh -huh. and, uh, and now I love it. Love it. Couldn't give it up. In fact, we're looking at jet skis next because that would be a motorcycle on the ocean, which would be my two favorite things. Yeah. What's the longest ride you ever took? Um, probably only an hour or so. I mean, no, no. my husband, my husband will go state to state, but yeah. um, I, I don't have a big bike because I'm a short person. Yeah. So I don't have the nice uh, shocks and the <laughs> cruise control and all of that. So I, uh, I don't, I don't go more than like an hour away. What turns you off creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I would say for me to be creative, it requires a lot of a long time. So the opposite of that would be, you know, lots of meetings. Like today, I have probably five meetings in the course of eight hours. So I just know I'm not doing any work today because to get work done requires me to go into a zone. It's kind of yeah. the reason I start with yoga because the zone <laughs> gets started uh, during that process. I can't meditate. I've tried to meditate a million times. I bought all the apps. I just can't do it. I'm not a person who sits still easily, but for some reason, I can do yoga. And I've convinced myself that yoga is meditating because you know you're quiet and it's, and <laughs> it's also exercise that is true too yeah so yeah so i would say anything that's like frenetic or you know large groups or constant activity that that just blows my creativity what sound or noise do you love what sound or noise do i love harley um, the harley engine i was starting to get redundant <laughs> so i would say uh any nature sounds i grew up 
in a small town, we had 30 acres around our house. Uh, and we live on a golf course now. So, like, you know, every day we're like, oh, look, there's a squirrel. I mean, <laughs> squirrels are everywhere. But, like, I'm excited by anything that's nature. If the birds are chirping, I'm happy. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh, probably that, you know, fingernails on the chalkboard <laughs> noise. Well, you don't, you don't encounter that very often. So what else do you got? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not a person that goes to extremes, I guess, based on this questioning list. You know, everything's kind of pretty middle of the road for me. Or I have learned what I like and don't like and have made that my environment. So, What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? So originally, my career goal was to be a paralegal because I love to do research. My mother said it was because I like to argue, but I, I didn't want to be—I <laughs> didn't want to be the lawyer. I wanted to be the person who supported the lawyer. Um, and then one of the things that's really cool about doing instructional design in all sorts of industries and fields and professions is you get to see how things work. And so I have realized that I would love to be a surveyor. I think because it's outdoors, and it's mostly a long job. You might have one or another person. <laughs> I think it's all that early paper route training, right? I was by myself. I was outdoors. I was walking my route. <laughs> it all became ingrained in me. So, yeah, I think I could I could be a surveyor very easily. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, there's a million you couldn't pay me to do. I wouldn't be a school teacher. I wouldn't be a bank teller. I wouldn't be a police officer. <laughs> We're at the final question, which I call the heaven question. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I guess welcome. Yeah. <laughs> thank heavens and, you're here. That's what I like to hear my clients say. Oh, thank heavens you're here. <laughs> All right, that's good enough. That's sort of like, sort of the same sort of deal. All right, that's it. We're yeah, done. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks so much for this. Sounds like you have a very busy day. Yeah, today, yes. <laughs> thank you. I'll let you get to it. Thanks a lot. Okay. Take care. The ID Fanatic drops every Tuesday at noon Eastern time. If you had a good time, please subscribe and let me know what you think on Podbean or Apple or by contacting me, Mitch Moldovsky, on LinkedIn. You can also follow my company page, The ID Fanatic, for updates and occasional free stuff. I sincerely hope that you and yours have a totally awesome week. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs>